Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, where we climb the hills, tackle the bends and endure the potholes of issues to do with motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including, despite everything, Volkswagen keeps the lead in global sales. We hear from BMW about their latest update you can get over the internet. We have an interview with Damien Meredith from Kia on what is different in buyers' minds now from the past. And we have a chat with Brian Smith on making people movers less ugly. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or, of course, you can go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So let's start with the news. Volkswagen has remained the top-selling global car brand again, edging out Toyota for the number one position in 2019. Volkswagen sold 10.97 million, while Toyota reported sales of 10.74 million, a difference of only 0.2%, but enough to give Volkswagen the bragging rights. General Motors held the title of top car maker for more than seven decades, but has given up any hope of regaining the top spot in the foreseeable future. Close but struggling is the Nissan-Renault-Mitsubishi alliance, which sold about 10 million cars in 2019, but is facing a downward trajectory after the arrest of its former CEO, Carlos Go, in November 2018. Go, a former chief executive and chairman of Nissan, now faces various financial misconduct allegations in Japan. Jaguar Land Rover is developing the car seat to tackle the health risks of sitting down for too long. The morphable seats use a series of actuators in the seat foam to create constant micro-adjustments that make your brain think you are walking and could be individually tailored to each driver and passenger. By simulating the rhythm of walking, a movement known as pelvic oscillation, the technology can help mitigate against the health risks of sitting down for too long on extended journeys. Jaguar's advice for reducing negative impacts of sitting in a car include emptying your pockets so you're not sitting on bulky items, push your bottom as close to the back of the seat as you can, adjust the back of the seat so your spine and pelvis is straight, your thighs should be at rest and you shouldn't feel any pressure points. Your elbows should be slightly bent when touching the steering wheel. Your shoulders should be in contact with the seat even when turning the steering wheel. And your headrest should be the same height as the top of your head. In 2015, America passed the Low Volume Motor Vehicle Manufacturers Act which allows more companies to build 325 cars per year that don't have to conform to modern federal safety regulations. Consequently, the US-based DeLorean Motor Company, owner of the DeLorean brand, announced that it would build a limited run of new DMC-12s using new and old stock. It didn't happen then, as there were still some regulatory things to get done, but they have again announced it might happen soon. The new DMC-12s will likely receive a modern engine. These new DMC-12s will likely receive a modern engine making 220 to 260 kilowatts, 
with a modern tech interior. It should cost around $100,000 US or nearly $150,000 Australian. The company will likely produce one or two cars a week. India is a place where using your car horn is part of the everyday culture. A honk acts as a substitute for mirrors. The passing car toots so that the car being passed doesn't randomly change lanes without looking. Or a friendly greeting, an angry rebuke or no reason for it whatsoever. The problem is that the noise is oppressive. The Mumbai police have come up with a plan. They have installed decibel metres at a number of intersections around the city, and when the noise from the horns exceed 85 decibels, it resets the timer on the lights for the red light, doubling the wait time and flashing up a message, honk more, wait more. Governments and planners want you to use more sustainable transport and not cause so much congestion. Usually they lecture the community on what they should be doing, often while being driven around in chauffeured cars. Rather than the stick approach, a number of areas are considering the carrot approach, positive incentives to doing the right thing. The recent Super Bowl game was held at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, which has limited bus and no direct rail connections, and is surrounded by 140 acres of parking lots, some so remote that a new gondola is under construction to ferry ticket holders to the main entrance. But Seattle's 72,000-seat Husky Stadium has arranged fare-free public transport on game days. The share of ticket holders arriving by transit increased from 4% to 21% after the program began in 1984. San Francisco's newest sports venue is probably the country's premier transit validator. In 2019, the San Francisco Municipality Transport Agency developed a transit bundling program for Chase Centre, the 18,000-seat, $1.4 billion arena built for the Golden State Warriors. Of course, culture means different things to different people. In an effort to cut vehicle emissions and boost public transport, Austria's capital will reward car-free travel with free access to museums and concerts. And that has been the news. There used to be a time when to update a vehicle would be all about hardware. It would take squillions of dollars and a large amount of time, even if it was only a mild makeover. The focus was on performance, the look and the physical comfort features. Now, Japanese quality management led the way in making the processes quicker and cheaper. But as the cars get more technical, the real upgrades might be more about the interface between the driver and the digital technology. BMW claims they will set the benchmark for connectivity and convenience. To talk about that, I have on the line Prabs Datar, who is the product and pricing manager for BMW small to medium-sized sedans and future mobility. We'll talk about that. Prabs, thanks very much for your time. Not a problem. What sort of things are we likely to get updated in this new system? An example might be, I believe, high beam assistance. What's that? Yep. So high beam assistance is an automatic um, like range or beam control um, mechanism which relies on a camera, uh, which which is a light seeking camera that's fitted to the uh, to the back of a, your rear view mirror. And depending on the light source, for example, whether it's a tower light or a headlight um, in front of you, 
the high beam will automatically switch on and off uh, depending on uh, depending on the road condition. And as standard, for example, on a one series on a, on the base 118i uh, M Sport, that feature is not part of the um, part of the standard equipment. But if the customer wishes to uh, upgrade with that high beam assistant after they've already purchased the vehicle, they can do that via the Connected Driver Online store now. Does that mean upgrade just software or is it hardware? Are you saying that that little device, which looks forward, I presume, but it's on the rear vision mirror, so it's looking forward, but it hasn't got the software that would link it or, or switch the headlights to adjust to other cars coming towards them? That's correct, yes. Is that because that software wasn't available at the time? Or are you, was it always envisaged, but now I will be able just to get that extra feature? That's correct, yeah. So it's, it's giving the opportunity for the customer to upgrade their vehicle at a later stage because the hardware is, like you said, it, it is on the car already, that light-seeking camera, and even the button on the, on the, in, on the um, indicator stalk is already present in the vehicle. Um, all you're doing is um, pretty much going online, linking the car to your profile, and um, then upgrading that feature into or adding that feature into your vehicle post-purchase. What would be another thing that I might do? I believe you're talking about Drive Recorder. What's that? The Drive Recorder utilises the surround view cameras on your vehicle. So there's, uh, as part of surround view, there's uh, a camera on the very front of the vehicle between the kidney grills. Uh, there's your reverse reversing camera on the boot lid. Uh, and there's two side cameras underneath the mirrors. So that forms part of the surround view camera system. Uh, with Drive Recorder, you're basically utilising those cameras to capture uh, about 40 sec, up to 40 seconds of of video, um, depending on the, uh, whether you're driving or whether you're um, just sitting in the car stationary. Uh, the car will be able to capture those, um, capture a 40 second video clip for you on either on demand, or if you are in the unfortunate event of an accident, um, you can uh, capture the previous 20 seconds before that accident happens and up to 20 seconds after. So there's a hard drive in the car already to record that video. That's right, yeah. We've, we've had hard drives in our cars for a long time. For, um, first of all, navigation is usually uh, installed in that hard drive itself. And we've also had um, a hard drive just also for, uh, for music files. So the hardware, a hard drive in the car has always has been in our vehicles for a long time. So if I hit something or something hits me, yep. it will remember the last twenty seconds. If I see someone pull in front of me dangerously, can I hit a button and save the last twenty seconds, or will it just save from there on? No. So uh, if, if you manually initiate the recording, it will have already uh, captured the previous twenty seconds as well. So. Technically, the, the camera is going to be recording 20-second slots constantly. It's just going to overwrite constantly. It's only when you initiate, that's when it actually saves a copy of that. So it's accessible. And that was Prabs Datar, who is the product and pricing manager for BMW, small to medium-sized sedans, and he's also their future mobility manager here in Australia. This is Overdrive across Australia. Damien Meredith is the Chief Operating Officer for Kia Australia. He is a down-to-earth bloke that knows that his first task is to sell cars now, which will then provide the foundation for future developments. 
In the full year of 2019, when the market declined by 7.8%, Kia did what no other top 10 manufacturer did. It increased its sales over 2018 volumes. It's not all wonder and light. The increase was due to a 16.5% increase in Kia's Serato. All their other models decreased, although the reduction was mostly better than average, and part of the decline may have been some cannibalising of existing model sales by their new Seltos small SUV that they brought onto the market in mid-October, and by the end of the year it had sold over 2,000 vehicles. Towards the end of 2020 they will bring in an even smaller SUV, the Stonic. We caught up with Damien in a bit of a noisy area at the Australian Open Tennis Tournament for which Kia is the major sponsoring partner. I asked Damien what has been the basis of their ongoing success. The value for money equation has never disappeared with our brand and we're proud of that. We, we don't shy away from that. Uh, we will always continue to offer good value. The seven-year warranty gives people trust in the brand so that helps. We've got a good strong dealer network, that helps. So if you get the basics in, in play and do that well, I think when you've got great product, I think it was like an awakening. It was always pretty good product, but we people actually started to know about it, and I think that's been part of how we've grown the business, yeah. Is good product looking good? I think you said that's a major component, isn't well, it? Well, when, when five years ago, the buyer care was all about price. And now price is number three. The first is how the car looks, second is the warranty, and third is is price. So there's been a seismic shift in regards to why people now buy the brand. How the car looks is number one. How the car looks is number one, yeah. Stingers and things must help. Well, you know, we've talked about Stinger. That's why Stinger is so important to us, because it gives us that halo effect, uh, which is quite dramatic, yeah. Mm. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. You have done very well, particularly with the Serato, in that part of the market that is generally in great decline. Yeah, yep, and I'd like to take all the credit for it, but uh, other manufacturers are giving us clean air because they've left those, left those segments. And we've stayed there with good product, good value, good offerings, etc. So if the competition's less and the market's still there's still 200,000 plus passenger cars sold in Australia each year mm. it's not it's pretty important still so we believe we can still get a bit of bit of growth out of there and uh, keep keep growing those segments but Serato they haven't left that market i mean you're competing with Corollas and, and yeah you know. no, but i think uh, we've been uh, fortunate that our that our pricing strategies work really well there that uh, you know if you looked at a uh, a base uh, Serato and you looked at uh, a, a base Corolla and a base Mazda 3 and a base Civic that the pricing gap is quite significant mm. so uh, it, we're, uh, pretty, we're pretty happy how, how, how that, that's worked out. Are people buying the base or is that getting them in the door? Uh, no, the base sells okay uh, as I said earlier on today we're doing about 17% GT which is, which is really good, we're really happy about that but uh, you know we've just got to um, Keep working away and keep making sure that our, our offerings are correct to what to what the, the consumer wants. Unlike many of the other major companies, including Holden and that, that are getting out of sedans, your top five, only one is an SUV, yep. and uh, so therefore you must see Seltos 
and others is and what's happening in the even smaller part of the market you must see that as a great potential to grow yeah look i think uh, we we look upon saltos as incremental business there's no question about that uh, what we need to do is make sure that saltos does the job and that it uh, has minimal effect on uh, on Serato there and minimal effect on Sportage there, and that's what we've been able to do. The point then is that we're, by bringing in the Stonic and that, we'll, we'll again broaden your market. Yep, yep, yep. So growth is uh, a lot easier when you're bringing in product into segments that are, that are quite big, and that's what we've been able to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, We've been late to, the, late to the dance with a few of these products, but they're working very, very well for us. I won't mention Utes. Don't mention Utes. <laughs> and that was Damien Meredith, the Chief Operating Officer at Kia Australia. This is Overdrive across Australia. And it's time to talk some of the more unusual stories in this wonderful world of motoring and transport. Brian Smith is on the line. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Uh, Now, Brian, uh, we've talked in the past about how electric or hydrogen vehicles, which are electric but just uh, have a power source via a fuel cell that runs on hydrogen, how they might give designers a chance to be more radical certainly in their approach, given that they no longer have to accommodate a big engine up front. And I think you and I have been discouraged by the lack of adventure in some of the designs. Is that a fair reflection? Indeed, David. I I think, um, you know, electric vehicles in particular give you the opportunity to to do something pretty different with with shape and design. Our cars are kind of... um, they have a, a kind of a vernacular around having a bonnet and a boot and a front and a back and, you know, a passenger compartment, then all this other equipment. And say you have an electric vehicle, you can put motors in the in the hubs of the wheels. So you don't need any more to have these great spaces for for your engine to go. And so you can revision the the vehicle to make it more practical so that you perhaps don't have to climb up and into it or you might be able to do more flexible things with it. And we've been, you're right, David, we've been disappointed because the industry hasn't really um, attempted to do something different. They've got the potential for something very different. And in fact, with a driverless car, no longer need like a driver's part of the cabin. So, so it's, yeah, I've been sad that nobody's really grasped this yet. Uh, we put on our uh, Facebook page, Overdrive City, a couple of pictures of various, uh, and, well, they're almost people movers in a way, that the canoe, spelt C-A-N-O-O, which I, I also think is a rather unfortunate name for a car. I, I don't really see a canoe as being something of great, um, portent in terms of you know going on water, but uh, nonetheless, you, know, you might have called a scooter a canoe or something, you know. But but that's by the by. Uh, but there is the canoe which going there. Now the thing about that is, of course, the seats in the back are a little bit almost like a, a lounge seat, but uh, a, a down the side and around the back as mm. one as one like bench. a U shape, isn't it? Yeah. Like a conversation pit. Ah. 
So maybe we will be seeing, and we'll talk about the GM one too, which uh, I think is their, called their Cruise Origin. That one really has seats facing uh, each other and nice big sliding doors on the side, a bit like a railway carriage to get into. Uh, it's actually not being elegant, really. It's uh, that You would have to say that only their mother would love the look of them, if you know what I mean. Do you know, David, I could see a combi badge on it. Oh, I know. It's almost reminiscent of the combi, very utilitarian. Which changed it, didn't it? It didn't try to be anything but utilitarian. Hmm. Yeah, it was maximising interior space, really, was their whole thing. Now, you have a dilemma, don't you, that you don't think that this is the be-all and end-all of, for example, public transport? Oh, no. I mean, this this carries, what, six people, David, and... um, you know, uh, if you're going to replace a private vehicle that carries five people with something like this that carries six, you haven't tried enough. But the idea of, of a vehicle that, that kind of, I guess, just looks like a box on wheels um, and doesn't have a big bonnet and a, and a big boot, um, I think it's heading in the right direction. Maybe it needs to be bigger. And if you made this thing bigger, well, what would you have, David? You'd have a bus. So before we before we start reinventing the bus by making this bigger, at least we can acknowledge that, you know, maybe there's some areas within which this might make a lot of sense in, in carrying uh, small groups of people, but it's, it's not a revolutionary concept because of its size, I don't think. Is it revolutionary in the sense of image, perception, that you, we will, perhaps making small steps at a time, move to vehicles that are sharing? It doesn't work with Uber at the moment. You can get a discount on Uber if you agree to share. The great majority of Uber drivers that I know won't, uh, are not keen to do it. It's just a bit too yeah. much mucking yeah. around and so on. And it will take technology to be able to make it very smooth. And perhaps these things on the General Motors uh, origin it the cruise origin where it's easy to get into it's all, it's like getting into a train as i said mm, yeah. that it, it's not that cumbersome nature of getting into the back of a car yes yeah and the canoe has that well we'll sit around and have a bit of a chat which may not be the direction anyway but at least you, you know i could see five of these uh, cruise origins going down the street and carrying 30 people rather than ever seeing um, a a number of people movers where you sit in the normal position in the normal way. It's a psychological change as much as anything. What about safety, David? I mean, these things are still going to be moving, and I imagine at times they'll be moving at a reasonable clip. Um, I mean, they have seat belts, but you wouldn't say these seats are very uh, ergonomically designed or, or look like they're designed to survive a crash. Um, it's it's very much like um, uh, you know sort of a you can imagine a horse towing this thing and you've got <laughs> you know you're going along slowly and you just kind of can move around inside. It's got tables that flip up and the like. But but what about that safety aspect? There is a I guess a, a part of current car design that is about um, you know cocooning the the passengers, giving them a view of what's happening, and then a whole lot of protection and stuff holding them into a seat that's designed to survive a crash and and such like. This is much more like a U-shaped bench at a uh, school, isn't it? It's like a mm. like sitting uh, sitting outdoors somewhere. I think it's a very good point. The canoe is a cl- classic example of it. It's got three seat belts across the back, but none with the ones running down the side. 
mind you, you ride a bus without seatbelts in these sort of things. So I guess, you know, maybe we're being too precious about. I slouch in lounges. Mm. Yep. I don't sit up straight. And and if you look at the bench seat nature, uh, with a very small thing for a squab for your for your thighs and your bum, I'm not sure it's one that you sit firmly held in place. Mm. I must say though, the doors on the cruise, I think, are a, a cruise origin are a, uh, are a good move. It's a, it's just like a train door that pops out a little bit and then slides outside the vehicle. Yes. Uh, whereas, say the um, the canoe has more conventional um, suicide style doors that open outwards, so more practical, um, able to fit into smaller spaces if it's got a door that that slides out and it doesn't eat space outside or inside the vehicle so things like that are are kind of a nice idea and um, look I look forward to seeing more vehicles that are more flexible and able to be configured in different ways and I think it sets a psychology Hmm. you and I have talked about it from a design point of view in terms of perhaps looks that we don't need to have such a big bonnet up the front because we no longer have an internal combustion engine, but maybe the psychology of what we see the vehicle as. Okay, yes. How we use it. Changing from from a car to something else. Yes. That's more of a, a transit-looking vehicle. That's a good point, David, and I think it allows people to, maybe it frees them up to, to rethink how they get around and, and their relationship with the vehicle. A lot of our time on overdrive we talk about you know what a vehicle says about you or what it makes you feel rather than what it delivers to you necessarily so people have that emotional attachment to a private car that they don't have on transit vehicles and so maybe this helps people to say okay look it's just a utilitarian thing it's not necessarily an expression of my uh, personality yeah Uh, Or maybe it's my personality that is no longer that car dependency. It's it's a vehicle focus, but not car dependency. Brian, as always, it's great to talk to you. Thank you once again for all your time. Thank you, David. Brian Smith, and we were talking some quirky news here on Overdrive. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to the Overdrive team, whose passion for this subject just keeps getting better and better. Especially this week, I'd like to thank Brian Smith, Rob Fraser and Paul Just. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available on iTunes or Spotify or go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.